I think a lot of people miss the best part or one of the best parts of a wedding. And uh, think about this for a second. In our weddings, these, this day and age, what happens? Normally what you have is the groom and the groomsman and the pastor will often go down to the front of the church or the barn, mostly these days. Um, and then uh, they'll be waiting there and then one by one the bridesmaids will come down the aisle and once they're all lined up, then the mother of the bride stands up and she turns and everybody stands up and they turn and they look to the back and there she is, uh, the bride. And everybody looks at her and sees her in her beauty and all her glory. And it's when you're looking that way that you, you often miss what I think is one of the best parts. So I've done a, num a number of weddings and I've learned that while it's Wonderful to look and see the bride coming. Uh, there's, there's a lot of time because they usually walk slow. Um, so what I have learned to do is as soon as she appears, I don't look at her, I look at him. And I cannot tell you how sweet and special it is to look at the groom's face when his bride appears. And um, I mean, I've seen different Different reactions, I've seen guys stand there and try to act like they're not emotionally, uh, you know, falling apart with excitement and joy, and I've, I've seen guys who just go ahead and fall apart emotionally and cry, and uh, it, is, it is wonderful. But what, what is so sweet about it is even the guys who just, all you can see is their lip is kind of quivering, and their eyes are sort of filling with tears, and you can just feel it, you know, what there she is. And, and it's just this beautiful thing to see his face, to see his love for this bride, to see his, there's just the power in his heart thinking, here it is. Here is our wedding day. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. I love looking at the groom's face. And then to think that in God's word, God tells us that Christ is a bridegroom. He says, Christ says that himself in Mark chapter 2. And that the church is his bride. To think of the fact that Christ is the bridegroom and looks at us, the church, the way a bridegroom looks at his bride is absolutely breathtaking and life-changing. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Amazing. Turn with me to Revelation 19, 6 through 9. We're going to continue our sermon series called Rethinking the Church. We're looking at some of the different metaphors that God uses to help us understand the church and uh, what the church is meant to be. Each of these different metaphors teach us different things. Looking at any one metaphor doesn't tell us everything God wants us to know about the church, which is why there are these different metaphors. Last week, we talked about the church as the household of God. This week, the church is the bride of Christ. So Revelation 19, 6 through 9, hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. 
for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much that you reveal who you are in your word and by your spirit. We praise your name that you would send your son to redeem us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would deepen and widen our understanding of the love of Christ, the love that he has for us, the love that he has for the church. Would we be swept away and amazed that we get to be the bride of Christ? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things, as we've seen now, is in, in the Scriptures, we, we see that the church is the bride of Christ. And so we're going to talk about that this morning by talking about three things. I want to talk about the, the form of the bride. Uh, what is, how does Christ see his bride? And then we will talk about the function of the bride. One of the key ways for us to understand kind of what the Christian life involves, not exhaustively, but one thing in, from the perspective of being the bride of Christ. And then we'll talk about the future of the bride. So those three things, the form of the bride, the function of the bride, and the future. So let's talk about the form of the bride. One of the things that the New Testament shows us is that when when Christ thinks of the bride, when he looks at his bride, he's seeing a church of churches, as it were. Let me explain what I mean by that. The the church is, is in one sense, we, we know that it's all the Christians on earth and in another sense, we know that it's all of the local churches where all those Christians are members or where they attend. That's the form that the bride takes. So no one person is the bride of Christ. We would never say, I am the bride of Christ. We would only ever say, we are the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church, big C, all Christians all over the world, broken down into local churches, little c. And it's important that we understand that so that we see that one of the things that this does in understanding uh, the church as the bride of Christ is it pushes pretty hard against our individualism. In our culture, in our time, we tend to think we do everything on our own. It's all me, and sometimes people think it's, it's just me and Jesus, but that's foreign to the pages of the New Testament. Rather, the church is made up of all the local churches in the world And it's important that we understand that because we want to see the way that Christ sees the church. He sees the the global church and he sees the local churches. He even uses language of both. In in Matthew 16, Jesus talks about building his church. And he's talking about the worldwide Christian church. But then in Matthew 18, verse 17, when he's teaching on church discipline, he's telling his followers, that if people are in sin, then you talk to them. If they won't repent, then you bring a friend. If they don't repent, then you tell it to the church. And he's not talking about telling every Christian all over the world. He's talking about a local church. And in fact, that's what you see in the, the, the missionary journeys of the book of Acts. You see church planting. 
We see the bride of Christ being extended as more and more churches are planted. For example, in Acts 2, 47, you see that they were, the, the new church in Jerusalem had been established, and everybody who was being saved was being added to that church. And then, as they moved out from Jerusalem, as we see in Acts 14, 21 through 23, it's a great passage to see the pattern of the advance of the church. In Acts 14, 21 through 23, what you see is that the apostles went and they preached the gospel, number one, and then two, they made disciples, so whoever responded positively to the gospel, they made into disciples, and then third, they, they appointed elders in every church, in every local church, and then they moved on to uh, more areas. And so when we think about the church, we want to understand it as being a church of churches. We want to understand that being united to a local church is an essential part of what it means for us to be the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ together. And that's not saying that being part of a church saves you. Jesus saves you. But as people are saved, they're meant to be enfolded into a local church. And this does push against you know, our individualism. There's a lot of people who sort of feel like you can just do your own thing as a Christian. You don't need to be part of a church, but when we understand that the church is the bride of Christ, we would want to see that, no, we want to be part of the church big C through being part of a church, local church, little c. I'm going to tell you something you might not believe. Shooting free throws underhand is more accurate than overhand. It's true. It's true. You should try it. I was, I was amazed by this. I was listening to this podcast, and they were talking about it, and um, I, I tried it, and, and if you do an underhand free throw, it's way more accurate, okay? And I want to leave you with that because I want you to try it, and you'll realize, wow, it's actually true. Why don't people do it that way? Because it feels weird. It goes against, like, the normal way that we feel. But if you would do it that way, you would realize it's better. And if you think about free throws, and sometimes we can think about being in the NBA, right? You, you and I are not in the NBA. I don't think there's any NBA players here. But think about this for a second. Let's say you were out back shooting free throws underhand and nailing it every time. And your neighbor was also playing basketball and you went over to your neighbor's house and you said, I didn't know you played basketball. And he said, well, I do. I'm in the NBA. You might say, oh, wow, well, we're in Orlando. You must be on the Orlando Magics. Sorry um, about that. And, uh, and he might, and he, what if, but what if he said, no, I'm actually not on a team. I just, I'm in the NBA in my own way, on my own court. On my own time. Now, obviously, in that moment, we would probably say, all right, I have to go. Um, we, might, we might be bold enough to say, actually, that, that's, not, that's not really the way it works. Like, anybody who's in the NBA is on a team. There's a number of different teams, but everybody who's a professional basketball player is on a team. And so when we see the NBA, what do you see? A team of teams, right? It's the same thing with the church, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church made up of all the local churches. And it's important for us to understand that. So as we feel a temptation to not be an active member of a church, we, we, we let the gospel, we let the truth of God's word push against that and drive us back into being a committed and faithful member of a church. It's important so that we understand why as a church, uh, UPC, we are trying to plant a church among the Huaning in East Asia. So our hope is not just to tell them about Jesus, but to see a church planted, 
to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and then appoint leadership or elders and deacons for them. Uh, this is why we talk about the importance of church membership. We have 25 people, roughly, uh, going through church membership right now. And it's why we make a big deal of uh, raising up new elders and deacons, leaders for the church, because Christ's church, Christ's bride, exists as a church worldwide that, are, that is broken up into local churches all over the world. That's the form that Christ's bride takes. What about the function? What is the function of the bride of Christ? And again, when we talk about any one of these metaphors, we're not talking about everything there is to talk about. But we can learn specific things that helps us to sort of see the way our life is meant to be. Uh, people who have been redeemed in Christ. And when we talk about the function of the bride, so what is the church meant to do in terms of from the perspective of being the bride of Christ? I would say we're getting ready for the wedding. We're putting on a dress made of righteous deeds. And we're going to take a look back at Revelation 19, 7 and 8 to see that more clearly. But I just want you to think about that for a moment. Because any engaged bride uh, is going to get ready for the wedding. She's going to want to live in devotion to her groom. Right? She, she, she loves him and she wants to be devoted to him. She knows that he is devoted to her. And there's this time before the actual wedding. And during that time, uh, that's the time for her to remain committed to him, to be devoted to him. And then eventually to put on that wedding dress. I mean, just think about that for a second. When, when a bride gets ready for the wedding, why is she putting on that dress? Why does she uh, have her hair done? Why does it take 17 hours uh, for the bride to be ready? But think about that. What is she doing? She's getting ready for this beautiful day, this beautiful moment. And Lord willing, it has absolutely nothing to do with being accepted by the groom. That's already taken place. He's already proven that through engaging himself to her. Rather, what she's doing is she's putting on this dress as a way of showing her love and her devotion, her commitment, her joy, and the fact that the bride and the groom will be married. Now, look at uh, Revelation 19, 7 and 8. It's very interesting. He says, Let us rejoice and exult, and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Well, how did she do that? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. In other words, she's, she was given a dress. And what's the dress made out of? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, we want to be careful because we don't want to misinterpret that and feel like that is somehow saying that we need to do these righteous deeds, we need to obey the Lord in order to be accepted by Him, or somehow that's how we're saved. That's not what John is saying here. Rather, look at verse 8 in the way it says, it was granted to her, given to her. So these righteous deeds that we do are gifts that God has given to us so that as the bride, we're able to express our love and devotion and anticipation of spending eternity with the groom, Christ. 
These righteous deeds, these good works are not meritorious. They're not what secures our place on the wedding day. Rather, again, they are gifts from God uh, through which the bride expresses her love and devotion to the groom. Think about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Okay, a place where Paul says something and he is very clear that we're saved by grace through faith, not because of anything we do. But then he also says that we're saved for something. So listen to this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Paul's saying there in Ephesians is that God has already planned out all these good things that we will do in Jesus' name. And so though, even, even the good things that we do are gifts that God has given to us. And when you then take that back to Revelation 19, it makes sense. Of course. It was granted her. God has given us these opportunities to do these things in Jesus' name. Good things, righteous things, acts of submission to him. Not to earn something, but to show our devotion. So if you think about it like this, if a woman and a man got engaged and the woman had not a penny to her name and the man was very wealthy, you would imagine that she would very much long to have ways that she could express her devotion to him. She would probably really want to be wearing a wedding dress. And if she, had, she has no money, no, no, nothing to buy her own wedding dress, then she's going to be, she'll be dependent on her groom providing that dress for her, which if he bought one for her, then she would gladly take it because she wants to show up that way. She wants to express her love and her devotion to him. And that's what we see in this passage as well, that Christ has granted to us, God has given to us the wedding dress to put on, so to speak. And it is these acts of love and devotion, uh, acts of obedience to Christ. So as we live as a church, we're living out our devotion to Christ, showing our love for him through our good deeds, through our good works. They have nothing to do with earning everything. They have everything to do with us showing our devotion to our groom. And what that tells us also is that what God wants from us, what Christ wants from us, is what any groom would want from his bride. Love. That he wants our hearts, not just our obedience or our doctrinal fidelity. He actually wants our hearts. That's really challenging. He wants our love. Think about this. Jesus said this, the same thing when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Christ wants us, his bride, to love him, to be devoted to him, not at all to earn something, but fully to experience the joy of that committed relationship and that anticipatory relationship as we look forward to the return of Christ, which we'll talk about in a moment. But if you think about that, I think it does sort of, it challenges me a little bit because a lot of times I think within a church we, 
We tend to really want to get people to act right and think right. And a lot of times we might be challenging each other and you shouldn't be doing that or you should be doing this or this is the wrong way to look at that. This is the right way to look at that. Behaviors, beliefs, and all those things are super important. But when we think of ourselves as the bride, the question is, how can we as a church help one another love the groom? How can we as a church help one another grow in our love and our excitement about the future we have with Christ? It's good for us to think about that, especially maybe in our community groups, to discuss the ways in which we can help one another grow in our love for Christ. The number one way that we grow in our love for Christ is by returning again and again to the good news of the gospel. So third, let's talk about the future of the bride. So we're engaged. We are living out this life of devotion. We are looking forward to something. And in Revelation 19 here, we see that the the marriage of the Lamb is going to come. That's the future for all who believe. There will be this big, huge wedding. And it'll be a wedding party Uh, the greatest and longest wedding party we can possibly imagine. The day that the church, the bride, will be married to the lamb, the groom, is ahead. And when that happens, then we will spend eternity with Christ, with the one who has redeemed us, with the one who has saved us. So how is it that we look forward to that? And how is it that we build love for that? It's by looking to the past. As we look to the past and think about what Christ, our groom, has done for us, it helps us long for that future when the marriage of the Lamb takes place. It helps us long to be with Him. And in the meantime, it helps build and shape our love for Him. And so what is in the past, what what is it that Christ has done? So what going to turn to Ephesians 5. It'll be on the screen, yep. Uh, This is an amazing passage because Paul is talking here about husbands and wives, and then he stops and he says he's actually talking about Christ and the church. And when when you realize what he's saying, it is life transforming and changing. The heart of the gospel is here. What did Christ, the groom, do for the bride? Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So here what Paul is talking about is not something we do in getting ready for the wedding, but what Christ has done to get us ready for the wedding. On the cross, he's taken all of our sin upon him and suffered the wrath of God for those sins so they could be as far from us as the east is from the west so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed. And even though we are sinners... Through faith, we have been cleansed. All of our sin has been washed off of our record. All of our sin has been paid for in full by the groom. He cleansed us so that he might present us to himself 
in splendor. How often do we say and think with one another that what Christ has done means we stand together in splendor, radiating. And he, he does this for us. He gave himself up for us on the cross so that he could present us to himself in splendor without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the very good news of the gospel, where we're reconciled to God fully by what Christ has done, by him washing away our sin and clothing us in his righteousness. And the more that we believe that, the more that we understand that the groom has given himself up for the bride, the more we as the bride look forward to and long for that day when Christ returns. And it fuels our devotion for him together as a church. I heard about a very sad story, uh, but it made me think about what it means to be the bride of Christ. And the story is about uh, something that happened back in 2012. Army Sergeant Joshua Michael and his wife, whose name was Dalen, they were participating in a parade to honor wounded veterans. He was in the military himself. Uh, he was an Army Sergeant. And um, they got to partake in this parade. They're on a float, a long tractor-trailer bed, uh, a float made of that. And in this tragic and fluke accident, this the whole float was crossing over uh, train tracks. And this train came through, and it hit the float. And it all happened so fast that uh, really nobody was able to react uh, quickly enough except for Joshua, who sees this train that's about to hit his bride. And so he lunges to her and grabs her and is pushes her, throws her towards the back of the float just in time for that train to come through and completely take him out but save her life in the process. He gave himself up for his bride. Not because she earned it, but because he loved her and he was willing at a moment's notice to give up his whole life so that he could save hers. And really, it's interesting because at the, the news, when the news interviewed people about this, they interviewed a friend of the bride and groom, of the husband and wife. And the friend was saying that this wife, who had now lost her husband, was saying that one of the things that took place in this whole exchange, yes, it was terribly tragic, but somehow her love for her husband grew even more at his death. Why? Because he was her groom before, and now he had become her hero as well. Her love expanded for him as he gave his life up for her and saved hers. And that's how our hearts expand for Christ. The, the tragedy of their story is that now he's gone and she's still here. 
The triumph of our story as the bride is that our groom has given himself up for us, but he's not gone. With us now in spirit and then in the future, when the return of Christ takes place, it's the return of the groom. And he returns and we spend eternity in his very presence. And he makes all things new, including each of us who believed in him in this life. And we have a brand new heavens and new earth. We have brand new bodies and we have this brand new future. And the marriage that we've been waiting for, that our hearts have been waiting for as the bride of Christ comes. And Christ is the one who looks down and sees us. Christ is the groom standing there as we are walking towards him. And Christ is the one with a look of complete love and joy as we make our way down the aisle. We are the bride of Christ. We are loved beyond measure. And as we remind each other what Christ has done, he's the groom who has taken the wrath of God. He saw the wrath of God coming for us like Joshua saw the train coming for his wife and he grabs onto us, moves us out of the way and he takes that wrath in our place. The more that we believe that, the more that we remind each other of that, the more our hearts expand, the more our love grows, the more our devotion is pure. And the more we look forward to and long for and get excited about the wedding that will come when he returns. And may he come quickly. Let us pray.